we are again, and uh, we're going to continue some conversation we've been having today, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I said last time we were going to get to the year of Jess, and now we're thinking that the year of Jess, we might maybe start that in this one, but probably it's going to be one more. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Just kind of, it's, what we're having is normal, I mean, let's just like, like natural conversation. I didn't mean normal. Natural conversation. And so it is what it is. Right? Yeah. Uh, but like we've been saying too, um, we're here in our favorite place on earth, Cannon Beach. And Cannon Beach has one of the greatest gin distilleries in the world that we have found at least. Well, let's just say the PNW. Well, no, because we've tried things that have come from all we over. We have tried things that have come yeah. from all over. And this is our by far our favorite gin. Yeah. So I'm going to be making gin and tonics right now while we continue talking. Yes, from this from this uh, gin yeah. from the Cannon Beach Distillery, which is closing here, I think, at I the, in March. And I'm we're just really bummed about it. So I guess we'll be on the search in our travels for, for a, a new a, favorite gin. Yeah. Um, we just really enjoy gin and tonics, um, and uh, yeah. So I uh, I like to. I used to use lime juice <laughs> from the now, bottle. <laughs> yeah. Now I like to squeeze a fresh lime. So we go through lots of fresh limes. Yeah. In this, okay, here it is. Ready? Oh, that was the uncorking. Well, this bottle's almost gone. I'm at the oh, uncork another one. Yeah, it was just like a little thing in there. Uh, okay, here's a brand new one again. Oh, it's a much different sound that time. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a, a fun thing. I'll see if I can take a picture while you're doing this, uh, our little setup here um, for making a, a food and drinks. And we have, yeah. a, we have a, an RPOD 180. And it's uh, it's suited for Tonic. for two people, um, and maybe one grandchild. Um, oh, definitely one grandchild. Yeah, it's just point. it is it, just... it is tight quarters, but we were looking right. for something that was um, small and um, you know could be pulled behind our jeep, um, so lightweight. And um, we have just had so much fun in this last what year or so of um of our potting um we don't get to do it as much as we would like to i'm not ready to sell the house and just move into it but <laughs> i know that that's uh, not very realistic yet either so right um but okay. i yeah there's your gin and tonic there's mine sit down now okay so Cheers to the rest of the story. Cheers. <laughs> there was a clink of plastic cups mm -hmm. there. Because when you're on vacation in the R-Pod, you drink gin and tonics out of plastic cups. Out of plastic cups, yep. Everything moves in transit, so everything here is pretty much plastic. God damn, that is good gin. I know. This is... <laughs> and, yeah. and we can't afford to stock up on it, <laughs> so... <laughs> no, well, and it comes in such tiny little bottles. So it, they sell it in, like half size bottles um and so it, it feels like it's inexpensive yeah <laughs> but it's actually it's actually expensive gin yeah so we're not gonna stock up we're just gonna yeah. enjoy it while it lasts yeah yeah, yeah. and then Absolutely. then we'll move on to something else mm -hmm. yeah we have found another gin that uh, that other gin and in fact it was at that liquor store in Cannon beach the one that's um, from the distillery in Portland that is a women-owned oh, distillery. Yes. It has such a cool bottle. Oh, yeah. I kept the bottle, and I was noticing some of their other things that come out of their distillery. Yeah. They all different colors of the same type of bottle, and they're beautiful. And Absolutely gorgeous I'm, I'd bottles. I'd be interested in trying those. The other good gin. We did try that gin. Yeah. But that we like that one quite a bit, too, so yeah. we, should, we should grab a bottle of that while we're yeah. here. The other the other good gin that we've we've had has been local in Spokane um, from Warrior, mm -hmm. um, and they do a good job. Um, and it's yeah, it's been one that we pick up when we can. It's been it's been a good close to home gin. Yeah. Close to home gin, yeah. Yeah. Um. So, 
Yeah, it's it's kind of like you know when you go to Costco and you find this thing that you really <laughs> like, like it's a like a sauce or something like that, and you're like so excited because you feel like you just like right. struck gold with it. And then you get it a couple of times, and then all of a sudden they just stop carrying then it. Then it's not there anymore. Yeah, and so I'm I'm starting right. to feel that way <laughs> about yes, yes. Uh, trying new things. I guess I've just got to keep my my palate open to, you know, lots of different... The finer liquors. The finer liquors. The finer gin wow. liquors. <laughs> gin is like, from what I understand in the distilling world, it's like one of the easiest liquors well, you... to make. Because there's, I mean, there's just not... It, it, like, you make it pretty fast. You, yeah. So... Some people almost kind of consider it like a throwaway. Um, yeah. But we just, we just really like it. We like the, and we like like gin with a lot of botanicals to it, and mm-hmm. you know, so it's real like almost floral, you know, yeah. and not so junipery. I don't like that side of it. Well, I okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is where you know again, we have found something that, that we both like. Yeah. And so. You know, whatever each of us tastes in that on our own is yeah, know, whatever. For sure. Um, but uh, but yeah. So, I I mean, I tend to like things that are a little more piney or a little more junipery. I mean, I like IPAs, right? We talked about that mm-hmm. the other night. But uh, um, but yeah. So whatever. If you're not tasting it in here, and I am, then that's just a win for both of um, us. Yeah. Well, since my uh, surgeries, my taste buds have changed. So. Um, I, like, I will give you, I will give you that, that I'm probably tasting juniper and I don't know it. Which is fine for me. <laughs> I still taste bitter right. in an IPA. So it's, it didn't yes. help enough. Well, it didn't take the bitter that. taste away. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So, um, we, uh, yeah. So, I mean, again, we, uh, I, I don't, like we talked about this. Do we want to, do we want to make too much about I mean, like talking about our drinking and that sort of thing and I just like you know there are certain things that we like and I think it's it's fun to kind of explore around and you know we're sitting here and we're recording a podcast and who knows like we've talked about many times whoever might listen to it other than just the two of us um so for us this is fun that we get to we get to make some drinks and sit and have what I'm thinking are thoroughly enjoyable conversations yeah. for you and I. Yeah. Um, and if no one else finds them interesting, then who cares? It's still been worth it. Yeah. Um, so, but I just, uh, yeah, I, I think that I, I think that I want to keep doing this, even if it's just for the sake of us. Right. Yeah. And I think, um, I think it's, it's good to process, um, process things, you know, um, I came away from the last podcast a little, not sure how I felt, um, because I wasn't expecting to go, um, to the places that we did in the last conversation. We didn't intend to. We didn't intend to. And, uh, it's, re- it's help. It's making me realize that even in just telling a story that's fairly medical, that, that it's also very personal mm. and it's also vulnerable. Um, we were pretty public, um, during the process, um, you know, each step of the way with, um, with blogs and social media, um, simply because when you're going through something really traumatic, um, and you're not much sure what's going to be on the, you know, the, the end of it all, you, uh, tend to, to only need to say it one time. And so social media and blogging became a space where either one of us could say, this is what's happening. Yes. Here you go, world, read it. Whoever needs to know can know. Not that we didn't care about the individual people in our life, but it is just sometimes too much to be able to articulate it over and over again to each parent, to each sibling, to each um, you know family member. Um, and so we found that having a space where we could put it out there one time, and um, and also once we got to the place of really diving into the surgeries. I needed you to be there for me, not for not everyone on the phone else. all the time. Yeah. Not for your parents, not for my yeah. family, not for um, anyone else, but for me and for our daughters and the rest of everyone um, who was incredibly supportive. Um, we just, we needed to reserve our energy and our 
personal resources um, for for getting us through that time as well. Right. So there were very conscious decisions um, around how how we talked about it. So I'm finding it a little strange, a little, I don't know if uncomfortable is the right word, just a little awkward to be, to be talking about this out loud. Um, That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of surprising me too. So, yeah. Um, so I, I would say that anybody who is taking the time to listen to this, just um, knowing that when, when people do share their stories, whether they're of real importance to you as far as the topic or whether they're anything that you can understand or relate to knowing that someone's story is a sacred space that they're inviting you into Mm. is um a space of privilege um it's a space to be um i don't know to walk tenderly in with other people um i have found that um like last year when we came to cannon beach we um we spent some time walking around town into the different local businesses and just sitting with the shop owners for as long as it seemed that made sense to us to be in there mm. and listening to their story. Um, it wasn't, it, we didn't set out to do that. It just kind of happened. And I realized walking away from that, how privileged I felt that somebody who didn't even know us wanted to share some part of their story with us. Invited us into their life. Invited us in, and it was a very sacred experience. Um, And so I I really value people's stories, even if they only tell you a little snippet, or they just say, today I'm having a hard day. I can't go into the details, but they've let you in to this this intimate space in themselves. And and I just feel like that's uh, something we should... Uh, care for deeply yeah i think that it's um it's the humane thing to um to see it as an invitation mm-hmm. i think um out there today you know um it's become so commonplace that people open up different aspects of their life right um that uh they share all kinds of things and and sometimes you're like I don't think you should be sharing that. (laughs) You should keep, (laughs) that's a thought you should keep to yourself. Like sometimes you have those thoughts even, you know, but still it's become like this commonplace kind of thing where, um, where we do like our, our lives have become a bit more public. Um, and I think that there is a vastly, um, unintentional part of that that just happened. And because you get swept up in, you know, um, in what everybody else is doing and the likes mm. and the followers and the, you know, whatever else it might be. Right. Um, and, and that's, um, I just think that there is, there's something to be, uh, handled carefully too in what we share. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is the, the far more deliberate or the intentional sharing. Um, you and I have, have talked about, you know, this saying that we intend to share part of our story. It's not the first time we've shared it. So it's not like, right. I mean, it's not like it's, it's this unbroken ground and we're breaking right. it for the first time in this median, you know? Um, but, but we're intentional about sharing it one, uh, for ourselves. Like we talked about in, in last recording, um, and, and for our own self-discovery, to, to hear how we speak about things when we're just in conversation, we can go back and we can listen to ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and two, I think that um, we've, you know, I, I heard you say something, I know I just kind of switched right there, but I, I heard you say something last time about, um, you know, when when we discovered that it was a tumor and that um, that you started having these thoughts of, I'm, I'm going to have to start caring for myself. I'm going to have to start uh, being very intentional in how I care for myself, and that um, that you had never really been in that space before. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and again, I said I, I've never heard you say that before, and it was like I mean I reacted to it, mm-hmm. you know, um, because it was this amazing kind of discovery in that moment for me that that's true. I mean we. We really step back from 
everything for a period of time and in order to self-care, in order to make sure that, um, I would say you in particular had everything you needed to go through this process um, of, of dealing with a, a tumor, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They, they, they had the potential to have severe life-altering effects for you um, in a number of different ways. And, uh, um, and, and, and so we took this time when it was just like we said, and you even, we even said this last time, that we started saying no to so many things. Like we shut so many things down. Um, and we've, we've gone through that period for a while. Now... I think we've shifted gears a little bit to where we are we are feeling this um, this urge, this desire, this um, I don't want to call it compulsion because it really it's it's a really good thing I think that we we want to become engaged in in something positive in positive giving mm-hmm. again right mm-hmm. and and for so long like in our history of the church you know and and all that i mean that had been the entire focus of our life in fact for most of our marriage that was the entire focus of our life that's a that's a that's a story for another day we'll go into that story sometime um but uh where that had been like giving outward focus had been the focus of us and so i think there's this balance now that is is pretty healthy and in what we're wanting to give to the world today but this conversation is part of that too. Like we're we're intentional about saying, hey, this is for us, but it's also something that we think we could share that that people that might that people might uh, get something from that, mm-hmm. right? There there might be um, there might be some understanding that people get. There might be some eye opening moments for people as we share our personal discoveries. Maybe maybe they discover some things about themselves. Um, that sort of thing, and um, but but now it's in this. Um, I th- I think it's in much healthier space than we were before because we were. Um, I don't want to get into that story. Well, yet. I, th- um, I I think we were we were reserving our energy for where it needed to be, and it was probably yeah. the first time in our um, in our marriage where we said that we need to we need to take before we give mm-hmm. and um because man okay we've never been through brain surgery before so we are going to hoard all of our personal resources and energy yeah. for ourselves to get through this um and that was a that that came with um you know really hard decisions that we made with, there was guilt involved in some, yeah, for me absolutely some of the conversations you and i had it's like i would tell you it's like i feel like I should get involved in, in a cause, like in a, in a, you know, you know, the, the food bank that was giving under the bridge in Spokane or the, the, um, the youth, um, homeless youth outreach that was happening in downtown Spokane or, or like, I feel like I should get involved in those things. Well, because it had been, Um, it had been our way of life. And I, and I think that sometimes, you know, we talked about uh, things that are a catalyst to change and in the last episode and and I think that sometimes we have to come face to face with what we're what we're depleting ourselves of right. and what we're actually capable of giving um, out and so when our marriage hit crisis mode um, my health hit crisis mode um, it was time to stop putting those resources and energies out to everyone else and um and yes. realized that we had depleted ourselves to such a point that we were, we were suffering. Um, we were not taking care of us. We were not uh, loving our relationship at the level that we right. obviously should have been. And so I think uh, when we walked into Tumorville, <laughs> we um, <laughs> I know um, we had to uh, we had to be very decisive in where our energy went um and if somebody else was fighting so hard for me dr michaels to um to be whole um 
gosh, maybe I should pay attention to that. Yeah. You know? So. So, last recording session, we, um, we talked all the way through, um, discovering there was an issue, um, you know, uh, finding out what that, what going through a couple different iterations mm -hmm. of what that might be going through, you know, four different options that we had for, you know, for addressing the issue. And then the dreaded phone call of it's time. It's mm -hmm. time that we, we have to go with the, the last resort option. And that was that you were actually going to speak to a neurosurgeon mm -hmm. and we were they were going to go in and remove this tumor mm -hmm. through a neurosurgical procedure. Yeah. Um, which, I'll be honest with you, there was a piece of me that just kind of flatlined. I, I, I can visually and emotionally feel that. Like, I just yeah. went, like, like, everything just shut off for a minute. Yeah. And I was like, I, I, I didn't know what to think. I didn't. I didn't it, feel it anything. It was your nine sticking your head in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> I went to my inner sanctum. You did. My inner sanctum. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I curled up with a blanket and I sucked my thumb and, and I shut out the world uh, in my fortress of solitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I very much did that. Also known as your flask. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, my thumb was my flask. Um, I... Uh, yeah, um, because it was it was all too much. Like it was too much to think about. It was too much to comprehend. It it all, even though it happened over a period of months, and even over, really at this point, it was almost an entire year since we had very first realized there was something going mm -hmm. on. Right. Right. It all was. It all happened at lightning speed. It did. Um, there was very little time to really stop and think. And um, we knew that um, with each visit to a doctor, we could possibly be on the threshold of making a decision in that moment about my care and what happened next. Yeah. Um, I don't think we realized when we sat down with Dr. Carlson for the first time. The how, neurosurgeon. Yeah. Yeah. How next it was. Um, he walked us through the whole procedure and what was going okay. to happen. This is, this is where you... Can you let me say something here on uh, this? Oh, yeah. Okay, because this is my whole reaction to this, okay? Um, I'm going to tell my side of the story okay. for a second. All right. So so we go in, we sit down with Dr. Carlson, and I know he's a neurosurgeon, but still in my head I'm thinking, you have a benign mass of blood vessels sitting on your optic nerve behind mm -hmm. your eyeball. Right. And there is an optic cone, and that is separate from your brain. Right. And so I'm thinking, I, I know we're here <laughs> know talking to say. a neurosurgeon. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> I know we're talking to a neurosurgeon, but but still, we're doing eye surgery. We're right. not, it's not neurosurgery. Right. And so so he's going, okay, so yeah, so we'll just kind of do this procedure. And, da, da, da. and he kind of rattles off a few things. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second. Because um, again, he, he was different from Dr. Michaels. Like we talked about Dr. Michaels came in and Dr. Michaels was very dry. He was very just like, he just stated the facts. Boom, 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 like that. And then you're like, whoa, wait a second. There was like no emotion in it or whatever. Dr. Carlson. There's actually a lot of emotion behind him. Yeah. But he but was not. But he did not expressive. That, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Hard five, I think. Yeah. I, um, I don't on know. The I, I'm, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> uh, Dr. Carlson, like it was almost. Like, in my mind, it was almost as ridiculous as if, like, Patch Adams had come in and was talking about your neurosurgery. Like, he cracked jokes and he did all these kind of things. And you're like, you're not fucking funny, man. This isn't... <laughs> Quit making jokes. I mean, it was like... I mean, I was like... I, I walked out of there. I remember telling you this. I was like, I don't like this guy. <laughs> like, I didn't like him because... Because of how, like, what I thought was, like, glibly he was speaking about this. I love him now. I yeah, mean, he. Yeah. We were in shock. The job that, that he. Yeah. I mean, what he did with you is unfucking believable. Yeah. But in the moment, I was just like, it was overwhelming. Okay, yeah. so, so he. <laughs> I'm never this. He says. We're just gonna cut a hole. In the top he says, "Yeah, yeah." So we'll just uh, so we'll take a we'll do an incision from here to here, and he went from temple to temple, 
Okay. In a rainbow shot. Oh yeah, in a rainbow, like over yeah, over, over the, the top, top of your head, right? From he goes, ear to ear. He goes, We'll go just beyond your hairline. He goes, and then we'll just take your face down. And then we'll just cut out the skull cap right there. And then I just use this little like Teflon paddle. It's kind of like a, he says, it's kind of like a spatula. Um, a spatula only with the bent 90 degrees. And we just kind of scoop your brain back and then we'll get in there and we'll kind of, you know, cut that little, you know, thin bone between your ocular cone and your brain, and your brain away. And he goes, we'll go in there. We'll just pluck that tumor out and then we'll just put you all back together. And I was like, <gasps> time the <laughs> fuck out. <laughs> I was like. What are you talking about? I was like, you're going to scoop her brain? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's not really that hard because you're kind of laying back anyway. So gravity does most of the work. He goes, you got this nice, big, beautiful brain in there. You know, your head, your whole head's full of brains. He goes, so we have to kind of. He said if you were, if you were older, it'd be all yeah, shriveled I was up. Say, yeah, like he was like, older people, they come in here. Their brains are all shriveled up and we don't really have to move them that much at all. But you got this big, beautiful brain. We just got to like scoop it back a little bit. And I'm like. They're talking about your fucking brain. <laughs> they're talking about your. They're talking about scooping your brain. Like they, he used scoop, and your brain. <laughs> Same sentence. And I said, and then I said to him, I said, so with that, when you like scoop, the brain, I was like, it, aren't, don't you like? Isn't there any like, like a danger of like brain damage or something and he's like oh yeah there's always brain damage and i'm like oh what and he's like yeah but you don't really use that part of the brain anyway we're not really sure what it's for there's always a little bit of brain damage we just don't really worry about it that much which we we and now like, know is his attempt at sense of humor because obviously no he knows what the frontal lobe is for but at the time we were like what? i'm like seriously i remember walking out of there i don't like this guy. I don't like this guy. Like we, like I even brought up. I think we should get a second opinion. Like I think we should. And and you were like, this is the guy. Yeah. This is the guy that Doctor Michael said that uh, like this is the guy he wants to work with. Not only that, he said if it were me, I would want him he doing said, the surgery. He, yeah, he said if if it were my wife, um, this is who I would put their and, care in. And you reminded me of that. And I said, okay, it's done mm -hmm. then. This is the guy. Yeah, I think Dr. Michaels was our, um, I, I just, I literally put my life in his hands. I trusted him every step of the process. Yeah. And um, if Dr. Michaels thought that this was what he wanted to do, uh, what he thought he could do, and who he wanted to do it with, I was there. So the person. I, I, I figured at this point, if, if, the, the complexity of my situation was as it was being told to us. And they were consulting with uh, neurosurgeons and specialists all over the U.S. I was getting everyone's A-game. I mean, seriously, I was not getting the, hey, we do this everyday procedure. I was getting the, okay, this has never been done successfully yeah. before. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Uh, this is the team we want to have together. Dr. Michaels kept repeatedly saying to us that that you were a case that had not been seen before. Mm -hmm. And we kept, and we were like, what? You say you do these all the time. I don't understand. He goes, it's that little connection. It's that little mm -hmm. connection that goes from this position of it, yeah. From this very common cavernous mangioma to the um to the it's not the aorta, but it's the whatever the, the major you know, is, artery yeah. is that runs behind your brow there. And he goes, it's that connection right there. He goes, that goes through the skull. So when we, when we actually take the skull apart, we have to take it apart around this connection point. Mm -hmm. Because if either part bop, pops loose, you could have bleeding in your eye, which would immediately blind you. Mm -hmm. Or you could have um, uh, a bleed out that mm -hmm. all the way to the point of you losing your life. Right, you could have a stroke on the table, mm -hmm. um, and and it could cost you your life, right? And so, um, well, and the additional risk with this was that this particular surgery had not been done. Yeah, and um, those that were similar, um, doing a removal of a tumor from the skull cap from the uh, via craniotomy, um, had not resulted in having vision, and yes, so. At this point, we knew going into um, the surgery that the goal 
was not to gain my vision back. The goal was to save my eyeball. To save the eyeball. So that I didn't have to have that removed. Yeah. So we needed to make sure that there was blood flow to... And that you could maintain the pie shape of vision. I mean, like if that's... We could, if we could do that, we were we were going to be happy. Um, yeah. Uh, the the big one was, um, well, the pressure on the table was that the longer this went with that optic nerve graying out, that we could have had a dead optic nerve already. Right. And there was no way to reclaim that. Right. Um, and so there was there was still this risk that I could lose my eye altogether. Um, but this was the only way to possibly save my eye and right. keep my own eye. Um, if we got vision as well, um, that was bonus and above and beyond. Um, so we we chose um, we chose Let's do to it. save my eye. Let's do um, it. Yeah, and because and we went back and forth on it because there was yeah. still an option. There was still a thing of saying that you don't have to have this. But the thing that was on the table for me was this thing of saying that we believe that it's benign. We can't guarantee it, but we believe it's benign. Yeah, and so one time I said to Dr. Michaels, I said, um, I said, are we talking about like we have this potential landmine in her in her head? And he's like, yeah, but, you know, he was trying to like downgrade it a little bit, but he couldn't say no to it. He said doctors do not like to leave tumors in the body. Um, yeah. Because especially when we don't know what it is. He says they're just it's it's too risky that if it does metastasize, then we have a whole nother um you know, game on the table. And if it continues to grow, even at a slow rate, let's say it doesn't metastasize, but it just it grows at a slow rate and never mm-hmm. um it never becomes cancerous, right? At some point in time it would grow to the point where it would push your eyeball out of its socket. socket right. And you would lose your eyeball. Right? And yeah. then he was have his flap of skin. <laughs> and then they have to go in and remove it anyway at that point. But is that 10 years later? Is that 20 years yeah. later? What kind of physical condition are you in at this point? Mm-hmm. You know? And you were young, healthy. Mm-hmm. You, your body could handle it much better. And knowing what we know now... For you to do this at 60 or 70 years old, oh my God, Jess. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, so, it, it felt like it felt like uh, we had a decision, but we really didn't have a decision. Yes. It felt like we just had to move forward. And, and, and I think that's why Dr. Michael said, when I say it's time, you got to trust me, there isn't another option. And because yeah. he had looked at all those things, and, yeah. and that was when... You know, and he was very good about not telling us what to do, letting us make our mm-hmm. own decisions and everything. Um, even when, we honestly, we just to... wanted him to just tell us what to do, right? Um, but, uh, you know, in that moment, I think he he absolutely did the right thing when he just said, again, remember, you have to trust me. It's time. Yeah. And so we did it. Well, the scary part to me, um, when Dr. Michael said, I want you to meet with the neurosurgeon, I expected to meet with him, kind of have a, okay, I'm ready to do this kind of moment. Oh, yeah. I forgot about this. And um, and so the next thing I hear, though, instead of that, from Dr. Carlson is, so we will see you next Wednesday at Sacred Heart Hospital. And I went, what? Less than seven days. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was less than seven and, days. And we, and I went, and we both what? literally went. Whoa, no. whoa, 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 whoa. What are you talking about? No. I said, I can't, I can't do that. And he said. We had something coming up. Well, we were. We oh, were we were going to take conference. a work trip. We were going we to. We were going to take, we were going to go yeah, to a yeah, conference. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it was something we were going to do together. But also Sydney, our youngest, was headed to Japan for right. our exchange program. Right. And the one thing that I didn't want to have happen was for us to start this process and then her have a hard time leaving. This was a four-year goal for her was yeah, to yeah, get yeah. to this trip. Yeah, yeah. And so we felt like we needed to let her thing start and yes. happen um, so that she would she would still go and still have her thing. Um, and so I pushed it out for a month, uh, four weeks. Um, they all weren't super happy about that. <laughs> um, but... I, I made a very conscious decision that I knew the risks that were involved in waiting. And I felt like I needed to put a few things into place 
um, when you hear someone talk about possible damage to your brain and all the risks that go along with having brain surgery, um, I wanted to make sure that I had had conversations with the people that yeah. I needed to have conversations yeah. with, that I had, I had, you know, s- kind of set the stage for, you know, worst case scenario. Um, but I also, um, wanted to plan my recovery. Um, I wanted to plan how that played out. Um, we had a very dear friend of ours who had suffered aneurysm um, earlier in his life, and when he, whenever he spoke about it, um, he talked about the sensitivities in the recovery, the sensitivities to light, to right. sound, to all of those things. And so I, I wanted to plan for that. Um, that my care afterwards and coming home was a bit controlled. Um, so that I could manage um, what could possibly happen to yeah. a, a brain injury. Um, I'm really grateful for that. I, I don't know what... Because we set up some good things. We did set up some good things. And I and I think that it didn't make everyone happy. <laughs> um, I, I think it, it was hard on some of our close family for us to make the decision to yeah. to be alone, to be you and I in this process. Because that was one of the things that we very expressly did is we, we said, you know, no visits, to my no. to my parents, to, to my family, to your family, we said, we don't want anybody coming to see us during this time. Um, we can't be responsible for taking care of you coming out to visit while we're taking care of you, Jess. It's not even, um, um, I think it's even more than that. It's not so much taking care of them because any one of them would say, oh, we'll take care of ourselves. It was more the, um, I think I knew innately what you were going to need in this process, where mm-hmm. you were going to need to be, um, and how much time you were going to need near me and in, in all of that. And, and if you okay. at any moment felt the pull to keep going back to a waiting room to yeah. see people or yeah, to make yeah. sure people yeah. had eaten or all of those things, even if they weren't expecting that, I think you would have felt that, um, on you. And I just wanted you completely relieved of that, that you could do what you needed to do in the process of my healing. And, uh, and thus the blogs and all of that so that you had one, one portal you were communicating. Yes. The, the blogs were the communication to, because we knew a lot of people. And a lot of people were very. Oh, I was very blessed by how many this. people were um, cared about uh, about me through this. Um, in all of our moving around and yeah. different churches we've been in ministry in, and and that sort of thing, um, family, friends, all that from a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all like, they were they were all genuinely, earnestly, and wonderfully. Supportive, supportive, and, yeah. and engaged in this, mm-hmm. um, and so because of that, we wanted the one thing, and and we held that standard, whether it was a friend or a family or a, I mean, whoever, whomever else, mm-hmm. we said, you know, go check out the blog, you know, I yeah. said, it to, I remember saying it to my parents, my sister, go read the blog, you know, um, and and so I love we, you, we, I care about you, go read the blog. I think ultimately we knew that this was. This is really touch and go. And I and we wanted you free to be there for me, yeah. not for everybody else. Yeah. You know, um, we needed everybody to get their big girl panties on and take care of themselves while we took care of us. And that was a really hard thing to follow through with because we um, had not had that position right. with anyone in our life up to that point. Right. Um, but I felt very um, mm, resolved about that. Um, that there was no moving on this for me. Yeah. Uh, and I remember the night before we went into surgery, um, we laid in bed and I cried like crazy. Um, and I just held on to you so tight. And I begged you to find another way through this. Yeah. But with this deep knowing that this was the only way through. And um, and I realized that in that moment, it, it kind of came to me later over time. But we make a choice to pass through fear. Yeah. 
Um, and since we had been working on our relationship so much, one of the commitments that I had made to myself in that was that I was no longer going to survive life. That I was no longer going to, oh, I mean, on a whole nother conversation, I had learned my entire life how to survive difficult things. You know, like you, we joke in our family that if there was going to be a zombie apocalypse, just the one you want to be with, because uh, survival mode goes on, thinking cap goes on, survival skills, uh, problem solving, all of that kicks into gear. And I unemotionally will get us through any shit we yep. need to get I, through. I might be strong, and I might be able to take some you're, zombies yeah. out, but you're in charge. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just that idea that, I mean, anytime we've had a major issue in our family, medical or otherwise, um, like I literally have a hard time going to funerals because I get into this mode of like almost a detachment from an, a situation emotionally, yeah. and I just do the things that need to be done. And when we had reconciled our marriage, I decided I was no longer going to um, serve that coping skill. And I was going to live in all the moments, as painful or as yeah. joyful as they yeah. might be. And being someone who survives everything, you rob yourself of the joy as much as uh, keep yourself from the pain, right? right. So. Um, when we entered into to this space of going through um, craniotomy, it was a conscious choice to walk through fear fully embodied in every aspect of what it felt like. And so that night before surgery was exactly that. Yeah. It was choosing yeah. to feel all of the fear and to walk through it. We woke up the next morning, and we um, we went for a walk because I didn't know if I was going to be able to walk afterwards. I didn't know what they were going to do to my brain when they scooped it. <laughs> you know, it was there was so much unknown on the other side. Of this. I didn't know if I was going to see again. Yeah. You know, I I had no idea what was on the other side. Um, I knew all the risk factors. I knew what was on the table, but I didn't know what the outcome and would be. And there were no guarantees. And there were no, no guarantees. No one would guarantee us I couldn't anything. even guarantee I'd wake up from surgery. Yeah. I mean, if we had one of these brain bleeds, boom, I'm done. Um, I don't wake up. defining moment for us. I remember that walk being so, um, mm. it was like it's this timeless. It was this it was, it, intentional moment where we just walked. We didn't talk very much. Mm -mm. We held hands and we just walked because we knew that whatever happened, things were going to be different after this. Yeah. Good, bad, and anywhere in between. Yeah. Things were going to be different after this. Yeah. And that's what we went into. Yeah. So, we uh, we go to the hospital. Right. And um, um, I remember, I mean, all the things that, you know, all the prep and all that. And, I, and again, you know, I talked about, you know, I talked about last time about my poor memory, but there when something gets like burned into my memory, yeah, then it's like it's mm -hmm. vivid for me, and I, I remember details mm -hmm. about that sitting in there in that pre-op room, mm -hmm. and what we had to go through, the waiting time, feeling like it was insufferable. You oh, know, well, I was supposed that. to have a two, uh, like a one or two o'clock surgery. So you don't eat prior to that, yeah. and we didn't actually go into surgery till I think almost five o'clock that night. Yeah, I was so hungry. Oh my gosh! But, um, but Brian came. Well, and I was gonna touch on that. This was one of those areas in which, having worked for the church, um, for ten years, um, we we knew what it was for people to have these moments like yeah. we were having, right? Yeah. We'd been a part of them with other people. Right. 
yeah. and um, how many hospital rooms we had sat in, how many moments we had had when people were on the edge of right. uh, fears or crisis or something like that. And and we'd, we'd prayed with people, we'd been there, we you know, that kind of thing. And um, I was... We were active in a church up at that at that point, and realizing that we were going to be, despite that, we were going through this a bit alone, um, and uh, that was a bit perplexing to me. Um, our Brian, who had been a pastor we had worked with in Donley, Idaho, our last pastoral our, position, our greatest yeah. experience in 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 a church yeah. up to that point. I mean, yeah, we we had. We'd had wonderful experiences with pastors. We had terrible experiences with pastors. Um, Brian was on a different level. Well, uh, Brian had challenged us in our faith on levels that we mm-hmm. had not been, um, we had not considered prior to that. Mm-hmm. And we left, we left that time of working with him with uh, thinking a new thought. You know, thinking yeah. God might actually be bigger and yes, gooder yeah. than yeah. Gooder. Uh, gooder. No, a that, gooder God. A gooder God than we had initially known him to be. And he always challenged our thinking in that way. And um, uh, that's why I say deconstruction isn't really a great word because in that process with him, it never felt like that. It felt like awakenings. And um, But um, when Brian found out I was going to be having brain surgery, you know, of course his story of his aneurysm was yeah. very close to me as far as how the recovery and all of that. Um he got on his Harley and he drove from, drove, he biked. He'll <laughs> be so upset with me for that. I still think it's driving. I don't know. Is it? I don't know. Um, <laughs> we should buy a Harley. <laughs> no. Um, he, uh, he rode his bike out um, yeah. from Illinois, I think. I'm not sure where he was, Texas. I don't know where he was at I the time. I think was in Illinois, but yeah, whatever. And he came through town. Um, specifically to be with us that in that yeah, waiting. He told me. He told me ahead of time. He goes, "I'll be there." Yeah. And he. <laughs> so what was funny is before I knew that he was actually going to be there with us in that time, that in all the pre-op stuff they they That's ask right. you if you, if want, you want clergy, clergy. <laughs> and I was like, "Sure, I'll take clergy." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that poor guy. <laughs> Um, the poor guy, the poor me, he kept trying to walk in while I was getting my gown on. I was like, dude, I will let you know when you can come in. It's not now. <laughs> he kept opening the door like he was going to come in. And I'm like, no, seriously, you need to wait out there. Hospital clergy. I do not need prayer that Hospital bad. clergy are to be blessed. They're, they're, I mean, the things I know, that they I have know, to I do. Know. But this was so awkward. It was just, it was awkward. We got the awkward guy that day, I think. Yeah. But, so um, Brian shows up, Brian and Brian had just ridden his Harley so, from Illinois, and he looks the part. Yeah, shaved head. Bald. Tan, because he doesn't wear a freaking Goatee, helmet. sleeveless shirt. Leather. <laughs> Leather on, and he walks in, and, you know, and people he's are sitting, like... He's sitting there next to me. Well, because he comes, and people are like, do you want him in here? And we're like, oh yeah, he's oh, our yeah. pastor. He's our pastor. <laughs> And so he's sitting down, and the clergy guy tries to come in again, and he opens the curtain. He doesn't even ask. He just opens the curtain, and he says, are you ready? You know, can I come in? I was like, no, I got a pastor. And I pointed to Brian. He's like, his eyes just got really big. It was awesome. I love it. Um, Yeah, they get the poor guy. I know. But but not. I, I, you know, just. All right. There's other rooms you can go to. Um, But I, I have to say that when you said that you just could recall everything in that moment, like it was right now, and that moment with Brian in our room, uh-huh. and Akaley was there with us, our oldest daughter. Sydney was in Japan. Sydney was in Japan, so it was just... Yeah. It was Kaylee and, and you and I and Brian. Right, and um, and I, I'm not going to share what he prayed, but it was... It was the most powerful prayer I've ever heard in my yeah. life. It was simple. It was short. And it was the most powerful prayer I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. And he was he was in that moment all the faith I wanted. 
Um, so, um, and I was, I knew he was going to sit out there with you after they took me back. So Brian stayed with us as long as he could in the room, and then those last few minutes, it was just you and I, and uh, he waited out there with, with you and Kaylee, and uh, they took me back, and I, I remembered everything from looking up, all the ceilings, yeah, you know, and going into that room, and um, I, I, I mean, I remembered you know, talking with everyone and, and just feeling like I needed to take in everything. Like, I was intentionally choosing to remember everything I saw. Yeah. Because I didn't know if I'd see anything again. Yeah. I didn't know if waking up would, one, if I would, and two, if I would see anything when I woke up. Yeah. So, um, so I took in everything very consciously. And the staff were wonderful, and they were perfect to me. And the Dr. Michaels just had this, you know, he called his staff over, his team, and he started talking to them about what was going to happen. But then he just came, and he just looked over me before I went under. And he just very confidently looks at you on the other side. So, um... Yeah, very impressionable. Very. Yeah. Um, I thought if I don't, if I don't get to see anything again, what do I want to remember? You know, in my last yeah. visuals. So um, so yeah. Went under, counted. Don't remember what I counted to, but I counted. Yeah. <laughs> been that way anytime you've had to, mm. you've had a few procedures in your life and and every time you like anesthesia hits you hard yeah but then it was okay this is the hard part you know once I once I woke up Kaylee held multiple puke bags for me yeah. <laughs> um, she was wonderful and and then I you know it was the hard work of waking up and uh, pain management and, um, you know, all of it, wondering if, would I be able to talk? Would I be able to, you know, what yeah. faculties would I have? Um, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. So, um, I don't know how long the surgery lasted, four or five hours. They told me <laughs> that it would be a few hours and it was almost twice as long as they told me. Mm. Which, I you know, I was thinking about all this, and I was thinking about all the things that were going through my head and what I experienced during this time. Because I, I mean, I experienced something totally different than you did. Oh yeah. Like you got wheeled in, you went, yeah, under, went you went under anesthesia, <laughs> and then there was this like I think it was like a five and a half hour period where yeah. I was just waiting. All the things going through my mind. I want to, I want to talk about my side of the story later. Okay. Um, because I think it's, it's like right now we're, we're very in tune to, mm -hmm. to your story on this. Mm -hmm. And I want to stay with your story. Um, and, and so for you, I mean, waking up and coming out of that, um, it was this, it was a long process. I mean, you were in ICU for. Three days? Probably three days when they originally expected you to be in One. overnight. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and things that I later became aware of more in the second craniotomy than even in the first, but... Which is another story. Yeah. You just said second craniotomy. <laughs> I, know, I know. And that's a little that's a little something we'll talk about 
later. Yeah. But uh, drain tubes out of my head and, um, you know, just, I, I had told you before the surgery, I want you to, as hard as it might be for you, I want you to take pictures all the way through so that I can see my progression. Oh, it was so hard. But it it is very, it's invaluable to me now because yeah. um, there was, you know, three or four days that I just absolutely do not experience. And um, being in and out of uh, pain management. And, um, and then it came time to open my eye <laughs> and um, to see what had happened. Um, the things that were on the table were with all the rewiring of nerves that Dr. Michaels had to do, very intricate surgery. He said it was like... Um, he said it was like peeling chewing gum off of tissue paper. Mm-hmm. He goes, that's how delicate it was, removing that tumor. And the putting nerves back together. Yeah. Um, and... and so one of the things that we needed to function for, for to save my eye, was to make sure that I could produce tears, and that I could blink. Yeah. These were two major things that if these things didn't happen, we had a whole another situation. Yeah. And so, um, basically, what they had done was, um, when they opened everything up, they on the left side of my face, they removed all the muscle, um, to just above my, uh, like that jawbone. Yeah. Above my ear. They'd removed all of that muscle and replaced that side of my head, my eyebrow, um, with uh, titanium. Um, basically reformed my face. Yeah. Um, all of that bone is incredibly, like, paper thin. And so um, putting me back together, all the bones don't necessarily survive the, the deconstruction. Yeah process and so particularly in your ocular cone mm -hmm. yeah um so there was no longer any um uh there was no top half of that cone between my eye and my brain the the eyebrow everything had just been reconstructed right. and so that was a that was a part that took both of them to reconstruct the nerves to reconstruct the structure of my face so that i looked as normal as possible so right. there was an aesthetic um uh, so, uh, objective in this yeah. as well. But if my eye did not blink, if my tears did not produce, or my eye did not produce tears, um, we had another issue. That was a moisture, and the eye needs moisture to stay alive. Yeah, or else it dries out and dies right. anyway. Yeah. And were we actually going to get blood circulation back? You know, had the optic nerve died, and or can can we? Um, will there be blood flow right. back to that? So many what ifs on the table. So much uh, detail stuff. Right. Um, does that do your eyebrows lift at the same time? Um, and then you know, so there is all of these progressive things. Um, the big one was was there going to be any vision at all? Yeah. Um, so uh, we realized that there was. We had vision, um, but it was um, there's this nerve called the fifth nerve. And um, that causes the eye to move from center to outward. Um, you've got nerves that do all the different movements of the eye, all the different directions. The one that was the most compromised was the fifth nerve. And I think it's fifth nerve palsy. So when that nerve doesn't operate right, it can't pull the eye back right. to center or over to, for me, it was the left side. And, uh, and all of these have to work together with the other eye. They have to, to talk and, and work together. So um, initially when I woke up, my eye had rested to cross-eyed to center, or to center of my nose. Yeah. And it was not, that, that fifth nerve was not working, and it was not pulling my eye over. So that results in double vision. So everything you see is two pictures. Um, that lasted, I think, approximately three months. Um, of being with double vision, yeah. Um, it didn't. It didn't change. Uh, in that, I actually questioned at one point in time: Is this? Did whew, it do the right thing? Did, that's that's did what we you used do to, the right thing. That's what you used to say all the time. And we have all these pictures of you, ongoing of your eye in various stages of 
of not tracking with your other eye and the the double vision part of it. And life with double vision was, oh my God, it was hard. Yeah. It was so hard. I didn't realize how many things I couldn't do. Um, So I I had to really come to grips in those first couple of weeks of going, okay, this, this could be my life. Um, You know, Dr. Michaels, Dr. (laughs) Michaels kept telling you that the, the optic nerve usually doesn't heal itself and the, so the fifth nerve well all the optic nerves i oh, should okay. say don't generally heal themselves and so he couldn't guarantee that it would ever right. get better it would ever get better so we had yeah we had talked that there were solutions down the road to special glasses and things like that that could come or other to procedures it. even i mean he talked about more mm-hmm. multiple procedures and yeah. you know all that kind of stuff yeah um but the the big one was that i could blink yeah. Um, and that I could produce tears yeah. in that eye. Um, my pupil was blown, so the damage to my cornea um, was significant. Um, it would not... Uh, it wouldn't dilate. It and... wouldn't dilate or um, contract. It wouldn't respond to light. Yeah. So... Um, so what that meant most of the time was that it was wide open. Yeah. I looked like I had a black eye instead of a blue eye. And, um, and it was a lot of light coming in yeah. and it was so overwhelmingly blinding. sensitive. Yeah. 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 So I, between that and the double vision, I spent my, most of my days with a patch on until Dr. Michaels decided that I needed to exercise the eye <laughs> and I had to try and navigate life without it. Um, and you put the patch on to rest. I put the patch on to rest, and so yeah. um, so it was a it was a long journey back. Just you were my you were my pirate babe. <laughs> my your pirate babe. I I was also uh, for a long time afraid to walk without holding on to something because I just yep. couldn't tell which one of my visuals was the real one. Yes, you stepped very gingerly. You mm-hmm. like like lots of high knees. Yeah. Like you were, yeah. yeah well, because when your eyes don't sink, you don't have depth perception right. and you have two visions happening right. at the same time. So I, uh, I found myself, um, mm, careful. And, yeah. um, and then one day I decided that I had gone back to my regular eye doctor to try and get my right eye dialed in for a really good prescription. And, um, we, so I got that contact in and I didn't wear a contact in my other eye, obviously, but, um, but just trying to get away from the glasses and seeing what, what I could do. And I remember one day we were sitting there as a family, just watching TV and, or I was watching two TVs. You guys were watching one. Yeah, because you had the double vision. (laughs) The double vision. And all of a sudden there was only one TV. I remember you, you like sat up. You're like, guys, there's only one TV. And you guys were like, what? <laughs> no, no, no. Like, we all, we got it. We got it. I mean, like, everybody got it. And it was like, I remember we were like, oh my gosh, there's only one TV. You're looking at one picture. You're not yeah. looking at two pictures. And it, it was just all of a sudden the eyes had come together. Now, there's, there was, it wasn't perfect. And, um, yes. But it was, it had happened. But there was, there was something that happened in that moment and that started a series of things that were, that I would still say to this day, I don't know what to call them, but miraculous. Yeah. And, and Dr. Michaels. We texted him. We said, there's only one TV. Yeah. And (laughs) and even he has said, it's nothing short of miraculous. Yeah. But we should, we should maybe talk about that next time. Wow, you cut these things short. Well, you would think that, but uh, it's been an hour. <laughs> has it really? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think that um, that there's there's something that happened in there to that you know that what happened next. Um, again, I I think it was I, I don't know what else to call it. I don't know what else to call because again, Doctor Michaels told us that what we should expect. And where you are today doesn't look anything like mm-hmm. what he told us that we should expect. No. Um, and that deserves that deserves a conversation all by itself. Yeah. Um, because it's part of 
it's it's part of who we are today. It's part of why we're sitting here today, even having these conversations. All of it, mm-hmm. all of it comes into that. Um, yeah. Yeah, and there's the there's this whole medical side, and then there's this whole personal side. Like, yeah, okay, there's this miracle of, of on a on a medical end, and then there's a really hard reality of how I walked out double vision and went back to work that way, you know. And what did what did that look like to try and be uh, functional and normal? And, and how that to you he- went back to work in a matter of a couple weeks. weeks. After a craniotomy, you went back to work in a couple weeks. There's yeah. so many things to this again that, um, yeah, they just like they just deserve a little more, yeah, a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, and, and we should give that to them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because uh, like like we have said before, these all piled into what landed me. This w- this was the surgery was July 12th of 2019. Um, 2018 Mm -hmm. and um, my my year of just literally started January 1 of 2019 and what happened in that window between the two of those was pretty profound to land me at that decision yeah big things yeah yeah so all right so we're gonna call it for now Um, it might only be a, a short amount of time for you and I it could be weeks if we publish be. this. <laughs> we are in control. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I do think that um, this next... I, I'm realizing that there's some phases to this that um, that take some fleshing out. They yeah. take some... Like, they, they do deserve um, a little bit more attention. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another drink. Yeah. Yeah, All right. Next. Here we go.